Hello and welcome to another edition of Here's the Pitch, brought to you by Masses Restaurants, five locations in St. Louis, stlmasses.com is their website. I will talk about my title sponsor a lot here today on a show that I think you'll enjoy. I've thought about putting this together for a while, and with MLB Network announcing they're going to do a 1980s look back at the Cardinals, a special on the Cardinals coming up at the end of January, I wanted to do, uh, do my own special since I didn't get to be a part of that one, but I'm sure it'll be great. Looking forward to watching it. But today uh, I'm going to play a few clips from uh, some of the guys from the 80s that I've talked to over the over the years on this podcast. And uh, on this one you'll hear Keith Hernandez, Vince Coleman, Ozzy Smith, Jack Clark, and Terry Pendleton uh, from some of the older podcasts. And as a note, if you just uh, scroll down, you'll see that there's all kinds of older podcasts. This is uh, year five of the podcast, over, I don't know, 70 episodes uh, a lot of Cardinal, former Cardinal baseball players, Brian Jordan, David Eckstein, Adam Wainwright, Mike Shannon, Izzy, Woody, Tukes. All those podcasts are still available, and they're all pretty evergreen, not time-sensitive. You can listen to them at any time, um, just telling stories from their day. So if you ever get bored here during the winter waiting for baseball to get going again, you can go back and listen to some of those. Uh, but, of course, as you've heard, I'm kind of evolving here. Interviewed Art Alex Eggis from Everclear uh, on the first podcast of 2020. We'll continue doing more uh, outside-the-box guys, uh, different walks of life. We did Alan Hunter, the first one of the first original MTV VJs early on, and then Brother Love from the WWE, Bruce, Pitcher, Bruce Pritchard. He's got a podcast called Something to Wrestle With. So there's all kinds of old podcasts in there. I've done it. Comedians, Tom Green, Jim Florentine, Stuttering John from the Howard Stern Show. So all kinds of old podcasts and new ones coming up here in 2020. But this is the best of the 80s. And we'll start with Keith Hernandez. He was part of the 80s Cardinals, and then he was part of the 80s Mets. Uh, So here we uh, get him talking about that first world championship of the 80s, and unfortunately only. But uh, Keith, always fun to talk to. And here he talks about finally winning it in 1982. You get to 82, it's, it's about seven years, eight years of your career, and you guys win a World Series that year. What was it like because those teams weren't real good that you started with? They were pretty good in the 70s. I think people maybe don't think know how guys were close, but you get to 80, you get Whitey, you bring in Bruce Souter, you, you, know, you start kind of building this thing. What was it like to see the team kind of being rebuilt and you being a huge part of that? Well, there were some down years in there. I got called up in 74, and we lost the pennant, the division to the Pirates the last day of the season. I got called up in August. And uh, then 75, was uh, the team was good and faded. And then 76 was a very, very bad year. Red got fired. 77, Vern Rapp came in, and we had a very good year. We finished in third place when we kind of faded in the end. But it was the beginning, I think, of... Uh, Starting the young player, starting to turn the corner. I had my first good full season in the Cardinal uniform. 78 was a bad year. Uh, Boyer got, I mean, uh, Vern Rapp got fired. I had a bad year. I did 260 that year, I think, or 255. And then 79, Boyer started at the helm, and we, uh, that's when Templeton and I had the great year. And you win an MVP, by the way. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and a batting title. And Blue finished uh, his career with a great season. Um, and then 80 was another bad year, and then Whitey came in, and then, then things started to be, become more consistent. Um, he made a lot of moves, and I was, survived those moves, and uh, I was happy about that. 
because he made a, he made a ton of moves in the winter meetings. If you remember, the, the, he got rid of a lot of people. And uh, eventually, we won the World Series in '82, and which was great because they hadn't won since '67, and so it was a long drought, and it was just great. I played in Old Bush Stadium when there wasn't a lot of people there, when the teams weren't good, and then to see the Cardinal fans come out because this is a baseball town, we know that it's a Cardinal town, so this is a great, probably one of the greatest baseball towns to play in. And you have to leave in '83. You and Whitey, I, I've never really heard the real thing with that. I don't know if you have uh, the background and when just exactly. I mean, you read these rumors and everything, but what was? It, I mean, what was what happened that day? Uh, it was a, a, a week. It felt like. Well, it was a lot of things went on, and just there's no need to rehash. But I was traded, and I know I had a contract coming up too. Uh, I had one more year in my contract. And um, that probably had some things to do with it. But there was a, a lot of ex- circumstances going on. It wasn't a particularly good, good time in my life. Um, but, you know, life moves on. I would have loved to have been here. I do think that um, if I had remained here, uh, I think that maybe 85 and 87 would have been, we, we would have been winners and, uh, when they went to the World Series. And I think that, we probably would have had a big 80s dynasty uh, that, you know, maybe we would have got there in 86 and 88 as well because it was a great Cardinal team. But, uh, you know, life moves on. I had to go over the Mets, and um, I made the most of it there. I was fortunate enough to get to a, a whole new a team with a bunch of young guys that were so talented, and uh, to be a part of that, it was a lot of fun too. But my loyalties and my great memories, because I, I grew up a Cardinal. I grew up as a kid as a Cardinal. I grew up in the farm system with the Cardinal way. It was always pride in the uniform. Um, those are things that just, you just don't wa- you don't wash away. That is an interesting thought that I'd never thought of if you did stay, because then not only are you here, but you're not on the Mets, which is uh, the team that wins in 86. Right. And that, that you, you're the captain, so that means you're the guy that they're looking to. And, and that is well, a big deal. You just, I, look at me at first base, and you have Jack Clark in right field hitting fourth behind me. That would have been pretty formidable with Willie McGee at 350-something, and it would have been a, quite a formidable lineup. Now, whether Whitey would have traded for Jack Clark uh, who knows? But uh, Jack Clark, when he came here, was such a powerful hitter, uh, such a great cleanup hitter. For his short stay here, that particularly in '85, he was just very, very dangerous. You've written many books, and I just think that '86 team is so fun to, to hear about from from afar. Uh, we were Cardinal fans, but I think there was a, a respect of that team. But, man, when you look back at it, you guys just had this 30-year reunion that was so cool to see you guys all back together again, seeing Ray Knight back out there. But what does it mean to you when you think back on that team? Because that is a classic, holy cow, one of the great teams of all time. Well, um, it was a great year. We won 108 games. There's only 14 other teams that won 108 games in the history of baseball, and we were, we were 54 wins at home and 54 wins on the road. Uh, we played well home and away. Uh, we just blew the league away. Uh, but to me, <clears throat> the fondest memories are that series we had here in October, uh, September, in 85, when we had to win the three games when we came in and won the first two games, Daryl Strawberry's home run off the clock and the old scoreboard. And uh, we won the, uh, the second game, and then we lose the third game, and I went five for five in that game. Uh, that was such a great series, and it was filled up here. And it, I, there's no other regular season series that I played with so much on the line and so much energy, 
and so much competitiveness between the two teams, and uh, it was just a treat to play in. And um, you know, we kind of went back and forth. You guys won in '85, we won in '86, we won. You won in '87, we won in '88. So it was a great run for the Cardinals and a great run for us. Yeah, it was so much fun. A couple more minutes with you. I appreciate your time. You did come into St. Louis, and I, you don't see many players booed uh, the way they booed for you, mm -hmm. and that means you did something here. <laughs> they loved you, and uh, you got booed. What was it? What did it mean? Was that flattering, or was it? Well, how did it? How did it hit you? Well, there was a lot more circumstances involved in that, um, but you know, the time has healed lots of wounds. Uh, Jack Buck was terrific for me, uh, and I think that he kind of. Uh, rehabilitated me towards the fans of St. Louis. I'm forever grateful to Jack for what he did for me on the radio because I had I left and I wasn't here, but I had friends that live here and were listen, listened to Jack, and they were telling me what Jack was doing. And um, I forever grateful to Jack. I always loved Jack. I got along with Jack wonderfully. I thought he was terrific. So um, it was just we were the competing team. I mean, it was either us or the Cardinals. So. Um, it really added to the excitement and the intensity of, 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 of the game. It was the same way when the Cardinals came to New York. They got booed. And uh, it was just really good competing those four years with the Cardinals. Keith Hernandez is always great. If I was running the local station here in St. Louis and I was running the broadcasts, I love the broadcast teams. I think they're all great. But I'd add Keith Hernandez in there somehow. I'd get him in for 10 games. I watch a lot of Mets games and his uh, – analysis is is like uh, none other you would hear uh, in St. Louis. It's so fun, but so honest. And uh, I, I know he offends many players when he talks. So I thank Keith Hernandez. I love uh, seeing him in town when he comes through. And that whole interview is available in the archives, along with some great stories about uh, being on Seinfeld and his mustache. So uh, check that one out. That was one of the earlier ones back in 2016. We move on uh, as uh, Keith Hernandez kind of ended that clip, he was talking about the rivalry with the Mets. I'm going to move on to Ozzie Smith. And Ozzie and I talked for oh, a good 45 minutes, and we talked about everything, including his uh, rivalry with Tony La Russa that continues today. They're still not really speaking, but maybe getting a little better as they get older. You can hear all of that in the Ozzie Smith episode, but here I'm concentrating on just the storyline that we're going with with the rivalries. And the Cardinals and Mets... Didn't really get into any bench-clearing brawls, but there was a good rivalry there. But they also had this great rivalry with the Giants as we moved into the mid-'80s. There was two big brawls with the Giants, actually three, but the two big ones people remember, 1986 and 1988. And Ozzie was part of that 88 one, taking a haymaker punch at Candy Maldonado. So he'll talk about some of those rivalries here. Uh, always fun to talk to Ozzie. Here he is talking about the rivalries. I, I did, uh, and, and I also think about these rivalries that are you can't really get them anymore because because of the wild card. Yeah. The two that you guys had uh, that were big, obviously, was the Mets, and then obviously was the Giants. And I think what's funny about these two rivalries, from what I've learned from talking to your your group, you guys seem like you really respected the Mets. I think you guys sort of had this sort of quiet, okay, they're good, we're good. I don't think you liked the Giants. I felt like there was more of a, and you didn't play them a lot, so there was, but there was brawls every other yeah, year with them. Was, you had Will Clark. I mean, there was a certain arrogance to them. Uh, you know, I think that one of the first times we went out there and we played them in the playoffs, and I think it was 1987. 87, yeah, yeah. was the playoffs. Well, you know, with the wives and girlfriends and stuff, when they were walking to their seats, they were popping their balloons and 
all that stuff. And it, it was just a, it, it was a different, yeah, we had a rivalry with the Mets and stuff, but I think we respected each other. With San Francisco, I'm not sure that they really respected, you know, what we were accomplishing, whether you liked it or not. We were who we were, and we, we were where we were. And so um, there were a couple times that I think that they felt that they were a much better club, and we ended up beating them, and they didn't take too kindly to that, which is okay, you know, because it's all about competing. It's not about who has the best team on paper and so forth and so on. And a couple times I think we beat them with, you know, with a couple of our main guys down, and they just they didn't take too kindly to that. And I think that part of the um, the brawl that we had was um, had to do one time with I think Vince stole a base, stole second or third base early in a game where we were up by five or six runs. And there's kind of an unsaid rule in baseball that you know with a four or five run lead you don't you don't steal second you don't steal third base but you know we weren't a home run hitting ball club and it was early in the ball game too you know so i think one of the things that whitey talked about was that if you send a note over saying we're not going to try and score any more runs then we'll stop trying to score runs the way that we do them mm -hmm. and i think that was the the first big deal and i think that was with mike kruko and um he got his collarbone broken, I think, you know, and, and trying to sneak attack Vince there. And then the other one, uh, I think, was with Will Clark sliding in and, and intentionally trying to hurt somebody at second base. Now, we don't mind guys sliding in hard to break up the double play, but when you start sliding beyond the bag and you're intentionally trying to hurt somebody, and that, that changes things. And I think that that's what that was all about. And, um, you know, he was doing it on a, on a regular basis. And then you realize that, hey, I told the umpire, I said, you know, second base is our only protection out here. And if you start allowing guys to slide beyond second base, you know, we don't have any protection. And, and that's how that, that thing there got started. But they've changed those rules. So I guess, you know, you won't, unless you're really doing it, you're going to see brawls still. But you don't see them as much because the rules have kind of fixed that. Well, the rules have, have certainly... Um, I think the rule was always there. I'm not sure it was always enforced. <laughs> it's true. That is it's, true. Yeah, you're right, you're right. I, I think it, it, it wasn't enforced. You know, they became so lax with the rule. But I think it was one that was always there that you got to be able should be able to touch the bag. But they had letting it get they they let it get away, and and so they had to bring it back. And because the bag has always been a protection for the middle infielder, and you always use that bag as your protection. And uh, I always tried to make it a habit that I touched the bag, but then they had this play called the uh, vicinity play. And I never really thought about a vicinity play. I always thought about wearing my shoe out here on the instep of my right, my right toe and kicking the bag or stepping on the bag or hitting the bag at some point in time. Now, it may have happened so quick that people didn't see it or they thought that sometimes because of the way I moved it, I ended up so far away from it that I didn't touch the bag. But I made it a habit of always trying to touch the bag because I knew I would never want to lose a ball game that way from a fundamental standpoint of making sure that you touch the bag with the, with the ball in your hand. Love Ozzie Smith. I tell a fun story there, How uh, and thankfully to Joe Pfeiffer, one of the great people at the Cardinals and Cadence and Selena, all the great people at the Cardinals. I've been to a few fantasy camps and uh, I made Ozzy Smith swing and miss at a pitch. Yep, slider in the dirt, <laughs> as John Mabry would call the parachute pitch. 
it starts out of my hand, looks like it's going to come fast, and it just sort of slows down real fast. But uh, Ozzy Smith, always always uh, engaging a part part of that interview, I just say how many people does he have left to sign autographs for in St. Louis because it seems like everyone has one on their mantle. So we continue with the best of the 80s here, my favorite 80s interviews, and um, a couple big moments in the 80s. Uh, if, you, if, you think of the, if you think of 1985, you think the tarp. And Vince Coleman, uh, I've... I've talked to him a few times about this, this story, but this was the first time on the podca- podcast I got the chance to talk to him about it. Um, it's an amazing story, and I just I still just can't understand how the fastest guy in baseball got run over by a tarp. But here he will talk about that. So let's uh, let's hear Vince Coleman take us back to that day against the Dodgers, NLCS Game Five uh, or Game Four. I can't remember. Either way. Vince Coleman gets run over by an automatic three-mile-an-hour tarpaulin. But we always have to talk about the tarp. I don't know why. I just have to, because the last time we talked about it, and you, you said something that I, I couldn't believe. You, you said, I thought I was going to die. I, and I think, I don't know if you remember saying that or if that's really how you felt. Maybe you are helping me out with a great interview quote. But, um, you know, we've all heard, and you, and you said it just... It just started rolling, and you didn't see it, and you guys were out there. Well, but I've, tell me a little you know, bit. I've been asked that question a, 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 a million times. A million have. I can't I answer the same way, <laughs> you know, but I'm going to give you the honest truth, okay. good one right now. You you know? <laughs> uh, the funniest part about it is that after it all happened, I'm sitting in the, in the training room, and all my teammates came in because they were so concerned, you know, and, 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 and they all was like, you okay? And Whitey told me to stand up. And, but I couldn't put any pressure on my, because I didn't feel at the time it was just pain. But I played with pain before. Whitey, I can, well, you can't run because I cracked my tibia. But we didn't know at the time it was cracked. But all the guys came in, how you doing, how you doing? And you had to know Bobby Force, you know, to, to appreciate. And um, he was like, hey, Vince, you were scared, wasn't you? I said, yes, I was scared. He said, the reason I know you were scared because I've never seen a black guy turn white. <laughs> <laughs> That's Bob Force, folks. That's exactly right. And, and, but when I was up underneath that tarp, and when they say that when you're in fear of your life, you don't feel a thing, it was a ton on top of me. Completely stopped, still. All I could visualize is this thing rolling over me dying and I didn't feel it mm-hmm. but when they stopped it to re-roll it back off of me that's when I felt the pain and just like you and I sitting here talking Terry Pill and I were standing on the first base line inside of the line and it was controlled by a man running the machine down in the right field in a trolley and he came out rolling it and it grabbed my foot and everybody said, well, did you see it? If I'd have seen it, I'd have ran away from it. <laughs> did you hear it? If I'd have heard it, I mean, come on. Fastest man alive yeah. gets hit by did a two-mile-an-hour tarp. <laughs> no, I didn't see of it. Right. <laughs> of course. It knocks me down. And, 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 and you know, that was one of the most, uh, <laughs> and you got to hear Willie tell a story because Willie was like, man, you were screaming like a woman. <laughs> 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 you were, and I, I, I thought I was going to die. I mean, you know, because that's all the thing. And I went home that night, and I couldn't sleep that night. And I'm living with Willie. And uh, I said, Willie, come check on me every night. And then, cause, but he didn't have to go check. I was, check, I was letting him know because I couldn't sleep. 
You know, I couldn't because the only thing you can visualize is that thing rerolled. Sometimes I still think about it from time to time, you know. But um, uh, only thing it, it cost me was that I couldn't play for doing that period. We lose to the Kansas City Royals. They were so comfortable and relaxed because I wasn't in the lineup. We didn't have the same chemistry, my B being it. But even yeah, still, we was up three games and one. You know, still should have won, you know. The bad call by Dinkinger, you know, yeah. kind of cost us and hurt us too, you know. It was a big ordeal. But, you know, I know some misunfortunate things that happened, and that just happened to be one of one of many. Yeah, I hate ending on a downer. So I will say, if you go to YouTube, there's a wonderful clip of you after the, the team clinches in 1987. I don't know if you've seen this. Um, maybe oh, some champ. Best team in the world. Best, best team in the world. We had it all start every position. <laughs> Jack Clark. Yeah, with Art Holiday. <laughs> yes. yes, yes. I've been brought up. That the <laughs> kids bring that to me. My kids today bring it to me. Daddy, you was drinking champagne. <laughs> I said I was celebrating. I wasn't drinking. I was just shoving it at everybody. Yeah, but all of a sudden, you know, it wasn't like you was drunk anymore. You know, you asked your questions, you gave an intelligent answer. You know? <laughs> yeah, and then you just go into Vince Cum. We've got a good team and a great ball club, and we hope we can win. Man, that was so much fun. The Vince Coleman clip on YouTube, I actually was recording that uh, clip live myself as a, as a 10-year-old child uh, watching Channel 5, watching Art Holiday, and uh, I used to, used to run around the house saying that to myself. The, uh, we got an all-star at every position. Jack Clark, Tommy Hur, Tony Pena, Willie McGee. Vince Coleman, the funny guy, uh, interesting fella. And uh, that interview is fun because uh, if you go back and listen to Vince Coleman, he had a lot of controversy when he left St. Louis. One, the way he left St. Louis. He'll talk about that. He threw some fireworks at some kids in a parking lot at Dodger Stadium. We actually talked about that. Uh, so go back to that Vince Coleman in an interview, and you can hear all that. Uh, Vince Coleman believes he would have been a Hall of Famer if he stayed with the Cardinals his whole time. So that's an interesting take. Um, but who knows? We'll never know because he didn't. Um, moving on. Um, to another huge moment, also in 1985, Jack Clark. Uh, this is my favorite baseball player back when I was a kid. I, uh, I love the number 22. I wear it uh, at fantasy camp as an homage to him. Uh, 22 is one of my favorite numbers, and it's because of Jack Clark. I uh, grew up on this 1985 team. I, I started watching baseball religiously in 1985, and uh, Jack had 22 home runs that year. And it seemed like he hit one every day. Uh, back then, every game wasn't on TV, but it just felt like uh, Jack Clark was going to hit home runs. And it just the way he hit him, they were just bombs, and he had this violent swing. Um, if you go back and watch some clips of him, if you've never seen him, for our younger audience, Jack Clark home runs were a thing of beauty. I used to mimic his, uh, his stance uh, with the bat waggle, uh, and that was about it. That's all I could really do. I couldn't hit the ball that far, obviously. But uh, the game six home run against the Dodgers to put the Cardinals into the World Series um, is just an amazing story. The, you'll hear me kind of talk about the setup of why I think it's amazing. Uh, Jack and I sat down at Masses. We had the Beef Pepe, Masses, our title sponsor, stlmasses.com. Uh, you'll hear in the background some rattling of plates and waiters and but we were at Masses, and you can go there, too. They are my title sponsor. And, again, always looking for new title sponsors. So this is a good point to uh, remind you that I have a Facebook page called Here's the Pitch with Brad. 
I have a website called heres-the-pitch.com. Heres-the-pitch.com, put some dashes in there. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter, at Brad Stravenger. All these interviews go to YouTube on the S-T-W-E-E-K-L-Y page, YouTube ST Weekly. So you can find me anywhere, always looking for new sponsors. Hopefully some big news coming here in the next couple months uh, as I continue to, uh, to do some work myself. But Masses is the title sponsor. They always have been, and I love Masses. I was there Saturday night. I was there Saturday night, and I had a Big Al's pizza, and it was delicious. But Jack and I, back to why we're here, we're talking about the home run against the Dodgers. I set it up, and he just goes. So here's Jack Clark. Uh, so we were just talking about your home run at, at Dodger Stadium, and I always talk about this with anybody else, so the fact that we're going to talk about it is great. Um, the first thing is, obviously, that he pitches to you. We've talked about that a lot. The second thing is how you make this right turn Dodger Stadium still has all this foul territory. You're literally in the Cardinal dugout before you hit first base. You've told me a little bit about that. But then the third thing about the home run, well, Pedro Guerrero dropping his glove. Awesome. A perfect visual for all of this stuff. Throwing his glove. Throwing, throwing. And then, but you get to home plate at the top of the ninth of game six, not game seven, and your whole team is at home plate. This isn't a walk-off home run. I think that's my favorite part of this whole thing is your team said, we've won. Tell me a little bit about uh, just you were saying that was the weirdest part to you because I know that you said, I was telling Tommy Lasorda, hey, guess what, I just did it again to you guys. Even though they're scoring, if I hit the ball as hard as I can to Guerrero or the center field, they're scoring. No doubt about it. At least tied. So I don't have to hit a home run. And I process that because you have to. You process it real quick. Don't, it's not needed. That's like down the road, third or fourth thing. If you get it, great. I'm always going to take my swings. I'm not going to get cheated. Get my three good swings in, you know. So I'm all, I'm all ready, but the base is open. And I'm thinking to myself quickly, and I mean quickly, like in about a hundredth of a second, is it going to walk me? Is it going to pitch around me? Are they going to put their arm out and try to act like they're putting me on and then try to get a quick strike on me? Blah, 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 blah. Screw it. It's him against me. It's power against power. It's Dodgers. It's Dodger blue. It's time for them to bleed. And they always talk about we bleed Dodger blue, and they've always beat me and won. And now it's time for me to get something back. But I don't have to hit a home run. I had complete processed everything in the short period of time got in there they had struck me out the time before again climbing the ladder but climbing the ladder means the first one is going to be the best one of that ladder and then the next one's a little higher and the next one's a little higher but remember I said earlier in our first we were talking I was having a really good series didn't matter who, who threw it who was throwing it where how it was spinning it whether it was screwballs sinkers Fernando big backdoor curveballs three and two screwballs it just didn't matter I was going to I was going to get to they already got me on that before three fastballs up chased them struck me out a couple innings before same situation I know when he went out there he told them we're Dodger River. Just give him to chase one and climb the ladder on. You know? He just didn't climb it enough, you know, and I got I got on top of it, you know. And I missed it just a little bit to hit it perfect for a home run to get the height on it and everything else. 
which then it was time to celebrate, you know? Because when I hit it, I knew it was gone. I knew it was fair. It wasn't down the line. I didn't see Guerrero throw his glove down. I saw that later. Because when you have a player on another team do that, you you really stuck a dagger in them then. If I wish I would have known that, to be honest with you, because I would have felt better even about the bottom of the ninth then because the game wasn't over. So as soon as I hit it, I looked into the dugout because I knew it was gone. Because I had kind of got a reputation around calling pitchers bitches and stuff, you know, punks and everything else. I mean, and they knew they could hear it. I wanted them to hear it. That you I didn't sure it was your bitch that day. Well, <laughs> not really. You know, I really, what I said when I said it, my teammates kind of took that on. Like they'd see me during the before the game. What's up, bitch? You know, it didn't matter whether it's Ken Dale or Coxie. Hey, bitches, John Tudor. What's up, bitches? You know, something like that. And that just was kind of, so as soon as I hit it, I looked at it and I said, take that, bitches, you know? And so I took my time. I remember going around the base and I said, you know what, man? All that Dodger blue, we bleed Dodger blue, trying to show me up again, you know, pitching to me like I'm some Joe Bag of Donuts, no good, nothing, you know, from the old giant days that you rule. But now I'm a Cardinal. And this is a different team. This is a team with history and winning, and they won in '82. It's not like they came from New York and it's been forever, and they haven't even got to the playoffs. They won the World Series, and we got an owner in Gussie Bush and fans and everything else. Anyhow, I took that turn. I, I, I think I ran out to right field almost. I felt like I did. I wanted to. And then I came back, touched second. When I hit touch second, I didn't quite go to third. I kind of touched second and kind of went out to shortstop a little bit because I'm getting closer to their dugout. And I wanted all of those Dodger players in the sort of just to, like, go, did I make the right decision? I mean, I, I, mean, I really wanted to rub it in like I got you. And I really didn't hit home with me, like you said, till I got to third. I hit third hit Hal Lanier's hand, and I kind of made a big turn there, still taking my time. It's definitely the slowest trot I ever had. But I didn't, never really wanted to show up pitchers, but I really wanted to show up the Dodgers right then for a lot of reasons. And when I came around, and then I saw the players at home plate, I was like, this is only the top of the ninth. The game's not over. But hey, since you're here, and I actually reached over all the, because we had a bunch of little guys, and I actually reached over everybody, and Danny Cox was kind of reaching over everybody with both hands and I reached over and hit him first because all the other guys were little. Vince was out there on one leg jumping around and everything else. And, Dude, we're going to the World Series and you're not. In your ballpark, you know, when you have the lead and you just took it. It was a good game because that game was going back and forth. And so it was a lot of, with the history in the team and I always remember, I I, I love Jack Buck's call and I love, I love the call also by Vince Gulley, you know. Clark, a chance to redeem himself after striking out in the seventh. The Dodger right-hander is set, and here's his pitch to Jack Clark. Swing and a long one into left field. Adios, goodbye, and maybe that's a winner. A three-run homer by Clark, and the Cardinals lead by the score of 7-5, to five, and they may go to the World Series on that one, folks. So Jack Clark was my favorite uh, player on the team, and John Tudor was my favorite pitcher. Uh, just John Tudor made it look so easy. He looked like he was throwing a wiffle ball. I'd go out there. I was right-handed, but I'd try to mimic his his th- tossing left-handed, uh, right-handed, 
and uh, it looked like a wiffle ball, but it was just so fluid and easy. But uh, that home run against the Dodgers, I'll just I'll never forget it. As a kid, you just have these moments that come up, and they are special, and they are always um, fun. It's just amazing to get to talk to these guys about them, even 30 years later. And I'm glad uh, I had a chance to hang out with Jack Clark. The last uh, uh, clip I'm going to play is Terry Pendleton. And Terry Pendleton um, will talk about the Jack Clark home run. Um, and then uh, he'll talk about this era ending. And he was uh, one of the free agents in 1990, along with Willie McGee and Vince Coleman. And uh, I think Ozzie was a free agent as well. Ozzie signed, but uh, Coleman, Pendleton. And uh, Willie McGee all are not part of the team in 1991. But uh, Terry Pendleton starts this conversation by talking about that Jack Clark home run. What I always remembered about that as a kid, at first I was at a record store watching it. It was on a TV at a record store, so that's how old it is. I don't know if yeah, there's record stores. No, there might not be any of those left. <laughs> but the fact that Jack, when he hits it, literally takes the widest turn. I mean, Dodger Stadium still is pretty wide, and he comes over that. He's told me about this, where he comes over to look at you guys. Oh, yeah. He had had told us in the seventh inning. The seventh inning, uh, 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 Tom Needenfear struck him out in the seventh inning, and I'd never seen Jack so mad in my life. And he comes back to the dugout, and he tells us in so many different words that if that is still in the game, I'm taking this. We used to call it big fly, hitting a home run, big fly. He goes, if he's still in the game, when I come back up there, I'm taking him big fly. And uh, so he gets his opportunity there, and we first of all, we're all shocked. It sort of goes out to him. We're thinking, okay, he's going out there to make sure he puts him on because Vance Lyke and myself were coming up after that, and neither one of us have been doing nothing in the series, you know. And we were both shocked uh, that he's actually going to pitch to him. And he hits that ball, and when he hits the ball, of course, you know we all raise up. But he hits the ball, and he immediately beelines straight toward our dugout, and he yells, that's a big fly, in his favorite words after that. And he proceeded around the bases. But for us, I mean, it it, it sends chills through you just thinking about it. You know, uh, years after that, I got Pedro Guerrero because he played here in in St. Louis with us, and I got the opportunity to give him a hard time every single day watching him slam his glove on the ground like a little league kid, you know, uh, mad at the world. But that was – I don't (laughs) – we we left there and flew to St. Louis – and we're listening to the Kansas City-Toronto game on, on, on they were actually springing it to us on the plane uh, but from the pilot and co-pilot. And uh, we were still on cloud nine. Even though we were in the air, we were on cloud nine still from that game. And the other thing about it was you guys all come to home plate in a game on the road. It's not a walk-off home no, run. No, uh-huh. I mean, imagine what would happen today if a team does that. The, the, the people would talk about it forever. The fact that you guys were, you guys came to the home plate oh, to yeah. meet them in a, on a road game that's not over. Yeah, there's no doubt. Well, it was over. <laughs> we, we, hey, Tommy and, knew and, and Pedro. Tommy knew, Pedro knew, and every Dodger fan who watched the, the Cardinals play. We had this guy named Worrell and Daly in the bullpen. It was over. Trust me, it was. You guys uh, in, in the 80s had uh, Gussie Bush as your owner, and so I know that you guys had barbecues and you guys got together and there's video, the Aussie movie of you and, and Vince and Willie sitting at the house watching highlights. I, know, I don't know if that was staged, but I assume that went on a lot more. No, 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 no. What is the difference? Why do you think it's so different? The barbecue is a big thing to me. I mean, that because you guys got together. What, what has changed in the 30 years and when did it? Was there a line where you see that changed? I, first of all, you know, I'm not talking bad about anybody, any player whatsoever, but I think selfishness has, has played a big part in this game, period. Um, off the field stuff, I think this phone and, and uh, the internet and everything else, 
you know, takes precedence over over getting together, doing things with you. I mean, you can walk in the clubhouse now and in any clubhouse and 90% of the guys are on their phone or on the iPad doing something else. They're not sitting around talking about the game or what might happen or what should have happened or what could have happened or what you should have done and, and, and why didn't you do it and all that type of stuff. They're into other things now. Um, for us, we got together because we enjoyed being around each other. We wanted to sit around and laugh and joke. We brought our wives around so they could sit around and have camaraderie with us and the other wives. And we all had a great time together. August Bush made being a St. Louis Cardinal special. He was a type of owner. He'd come around. He'd let you know that he appreciated you. Um, he came around to make sure everything was, was, was the way it should be and the way we needed it to be. He didn't take any flack from players. We had players leave here because they made gestures towards fans. They weren't here two days later. They're gone. He didn't play that. He respected you as a person and as a player, and you did the same with him, and you respected the way he ran a ball club. Um, but they were just special. The, the, the Anheuser-Busch family was just special. And uh, they made sure their ball club was the same way. And I'll tell you, here in St. Louis, when I was a St. Louis Cardinal, we were treated special. I mean, I, I tell these kids stories now about playing here in St. Louis. There's no better place to play. Yeah, a little more time to talk about uh, some of the later times, if that's all right. Uh, the, the fact that that team doesn't have a ring, the 85 or 87 team, uh, the 87 team, now I'm a fan. You know, 85, I learn about the team. Right, right. 87, I'm watching. We're paying. They had pay-per-view games yeah, at home. Right, right. And uh, the home run in New York is obviously, I, you, know, you can't talk to Terry Pendleton without talking about that. But the 87 team and the fact that those two teams don't have rings, I mean, to me, they're as big as those world championship flags. They're as close as you can get because both obviously game sevens, but the teams, the, the, the era is remembered as the people loving it. Just yeah. tell me a little bit about the fact that you didn't win the big ring in those two years. Well, I think, um, you know, some people may, may differ or may say something different, but I think the reason personally, I think we didn't re win the ring in 87. Uh, myself and Jack Clark weren't able to. I, I was limited, and Jack wasn't able to play at all. I think that's two big differences in your lineup, period. Um, we, we stayed in ball games. I think uh, Minnesota had a little special home cooking there when they were at home. They did it again in 91 <laughs> in a different uniform. Um, but it's home field advantage. I guess you take advantage of what you can while you can when you're at home. But uh, <clears throat> I think what made those teams so special was when we had injuries and we had them all year long. It seemed like somebody came in and was able to come in and, and fulfill that spot. Jose Okendo was huge to us in 1987 um, with him being able to play every position on the field. We had, uh, I want to say, Dan Dreesen come in and play first base when Jack Clark went down. Huge. We had that, we had that in 85. We had Yvonne DeJesus step in. Uh, we had Cesar Cedeno step in. Tito Leonard. I mean, we had guys that, that came, walked right in and stepped in and did the job. In 87, we had the same thing. Um, I think what made that so special, the Mets were chasing us again or we were chasing them, and it went back and forth all year long. And I think the beauty of all that was the fact that right here in, in, in St. Louis, they had to sit and watch us win the thing while they had a day off up in the booth. You know, they got a chance that. to sit there and watch us win the whole deal. But Fans were chanting at them. Oh, yes. Go home, were. Mets. Yes. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. So uh, that was the beauty of it. But I think uh, just, just us, the Mets had better pitching. The Mets had better offense. So they say. Um, and, and on paper, they probably did. Defensively, there was nobody better than us. Uh, Pitching-wise, because we were so good defensively, our pitching could do it virtually what they wanted to do. Or if, if, if they went out and pitched the way they were supposed to pitch, we were going to defend it and have an have a absolute uh, better chance of winning. I think offensively, that old saying, speed doesn't go into a slump. 
even if we weren't hitting, there was always a chance we were going to score a run or two. So uh, we had the opportunity to put pressure on the other ball clubs and force them into more errors. And I think that's what made it so fun for everybody watching. Even if you weren't a Cardinal fan, you know, there were te- people uh, viewing in our Cardinal games because of the speed we had and because of the way we played the game of baseball. A couple more minutes with you. I appreciate your time. I think it's crazy that your pitching coach is here, Roger McDowell, and you guys sit and have to talk every day. I know you've said before there's no chance I bring it up if other people want to bring it up. What is it like? Is it still brought up? I mean, it is such a huge moment here. I don't know if anybody really brings it up between you two, though. No, I, I think um, in 2007, the the um, we were in New York, and, the, and one of the New York writers, they were doing a big story on that 87 series, and uh, they asked Roger, they wanted to, actually wanted to sit down with both of us and discuss that old deal, and Roger wasn't interested in doing it all, and I told him from the get-go, I said, if he'll do it, fine. If not, I don't have an issue with it at all. Uh, so they end up speaking to us individually. I don't bring it up because I know for me, um, if I'd thrown that pitch, it'd be a sore subject for me the rest of my career. So it's not something I bring up to ever bring up to Roger. Hey, I hit a home run yeah, off. You yeah, remember yeah. that day, Roger? No, no, no. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't do that. Even in joking, I don't. I don't do that. No. You know, um, I respect him. I know the way he played the game, and I know how, how he went after it every day the same way I did. It was blood. The Mets and the Cardinals. It was blood. You know. Um, so we respect that fact, and we realize that was in the past, and we both try to keep it there. But I will say this. Every time I go to New York, I hear about it. Oh, I kid you not. Every time. I can be walking down the street. It's not even at the ballpark. I can be walking down the street, and somebody will recognize me and go, oh, man, you killed my Mets in 87, and they go into the whole spill. And uh, I have people there in New York telling me, oh, this was the first 9-11. I, I forgot the date in which I hit it. Yeah. And they tell me, that's the first night. I said, I don't want to be remembered by that 9-11 thing. I, I don't want no part of that. But um, they talk about how much it crushed their season. You know, I, I remember going in there, and we were we were a game and a half up when we went in there. And they were already talking about, well, we win this one tonight, and they got we got good in tomorrow. We're definitely going to take over the lead after Saturday. And uh, we're going in there going, okay, yeah, we got to handle this one first and worry about good tomorrow. And we went in there and ended up winning that game Friday night. And we put five on good in the first day, first inning the next day. And he was gone. We won that one, but we lost the third day. But we still left out of there two and a half up. And that was a huge, huge lead in those days. I've watched 30 years of baseball as a Cardinal fan. We've had 2011. But that, that time in 87 is one of the greatest times. I can't let you go without asking about your, your Braves days. You leave here, and we all thought, oh, man, Terry Pendleton is going to leave. And then you go and you win an MVP. I'm like, what does he do? This is not right. This is, but, uh, and you go to the Braves, who, who were in last place. When you go, you get over there, they go to first place. The MVP, um, a great time in Atlanta. Of, of, you didn't win a, I couldn't believe when I looked it up. I thought, how did he not win a ring? You left before they win in 95. But everything that happened for you there in 91 and how you – you took what you learned from Ozzie and Willie and all that stuff here, and you take it over to Atlanta, and you turn you turn the franchise around and make them have the same conversations in Atlanta that we have here in St. Louis. Well, I'll tell you what. I will say this. the um, That year, actually, I'm trying to not tear up, to be honest with you. That year, uh, when I left here, was the longest walk out of a tunnel I ever took in my life. It was that, that tough for me. Um, So uh, it was one of the early interviews, but I was hoping to get Terry Pendleton to cry. He did not, but uh, it was it was always uh, fun seeing him around with the Braves and um, what a player he is and there's some talk about him being a Cardinal Hall of Famer. Uh, I'd be interested to hear people's thoughts on who the next crop should be because at some point 
uh, does everyone get in is the question. So there's a lot of Cardinal history. Uh, but Terry Pendleton was here a long time, has some big hits, had some great years. And uh, the 1987 home run against the Mets is one of those amazing moments. And I'll never forget it. I'll never forget where I was sitting. I was sitting on the, sitting on the floor in the basement and thought the Cardinals had lost and thought the Mets were going to take that series. And it's just amazing what one swing can do because the Mets would have gone into first place. They had Dwight Gooden pitching the next day. The Mets were on a roll. They go and play in the 1987 NLCS. Well, no. Terry Pendleton hits a home run. The Cardinals had one hit through five innings in that game. And uh, Tommy Herr had a big hit against Jesse Orozco. Willie McGee actually had a huge hit in the ninth right before. So all the big names from that 80, those 80s Cardinals, they just they were such a fun team. And that's why I decided to go back and let you listen to some of these stories. I enjoy listening to them. I wanted to condense them a little bit and have them in one place. So that's why today I did Here's the Pitch with the best of the 80s. So hopefully you enjoyed it, and hopefully you're enjoying the show evolving a little bit. I wouldn't mind some comments on the iTunes page. Do you like hearing other uh, artists, uh, comedians, and songwriters, uh, broadcasters, other players? Tell me what you want to hear on iTunes, but go ahead and give me a five-star rating, most importantly. Also, always looking for sponsors, as I mentioned during the Jack Clark interview. So go ahead and look me up at heresthepitch.com. Here's-the-pitch.com. That's where you can find the website. I blog about uh, each podcast, and I might get a little more active over there, too. And then you can see the Masses clip, the uh, Masses logo right there in the middle of the page. That's where your sponsor's logo will be, too. And lots of people listen to this. I appreciate all the listeners, and I appreciate you listening to today's Best of the 80s, Here's the Pitch. That's going to do it for today. We'll talk to you soon, and thanks for listening.